Welcome everyone to today's devotion. Finishing out the week looking at John chapter 5. John 5 is um, to me often overlooked but it still has uh, some important things. This is uh, one of the longer teaching uh, parts uh, at least thus far. Really uh, so far Jesus hasn't had long uh, discourses, long lectures. Uh, but in chapter 5 he will, chapter 6 will be, uh, he'll, he'll teach on a number of things. And there's a few pockets like it. Remember in Matthew's Gospel, uh, long teaching discourses were, were common, less common in Mark and whatnot. So uh, John has his fair share of Jesus uh, having these long sections of, of teaching. Uh, so it begins that um, there was a feast of the Jews, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So in John's Gospel, Jesus is going back and forth constantly. Now, um, I don't believe we know what this feast is, whether or not it's Passover, probably not Passover. Uh, but nevertheless, he is um, going up to Jerusalem. Um, and there in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called uh, Bethesda, uh, which has five roof colonnades. I believe we have found this um, uh, what we believe is, is described here. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw, that, uh, saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me. So you see what's going on here is, is the, the belief is that, um, that uh, at certain times these waters become uh, healing waters. Okay? And so Jesus looks at the guy who cannot get into the healing water. And notice this is a very important. The one who cannot save himself. He cannot heal himself. He is the one that Jesus reaches out to. Do you want to be healed? And he says, of course, yes. So verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. Now, um, just just as a narrative in itself, if we have nothing else, we would highlight here uh, Jesus as Logos, right? He is creator. So he is creating for the man something he does not have. So this is in line with the healing uh, of the boy in Cana and turn the water and the wine in Cana. All right, so chapters two and chapter four. Uh, this is consistent. So as Logos, he nothing that came into being came into being that he did not create. John chapter one, verse one, down to verse three or four. So um, Jesus creates for this man um, uh, healing. Uh, this is an act of, of, this is a divine act of, of mercy. But then at the end of verse nine, we see where this is going. Now that day was the Sabbath. Oh, here we go. Right. Uh, if you read the Gospels enough, the Sabbath controversies are everywhere and they start to wear you out. And I think that's on purpose. Uh, I think the Gospel writers want you to see what religion does is it prioritizes things that don't matter, or not that they matter, but they over-prioritize them and they ignore the things that should be priority. You major on the minors, you minor on the majors. Uh, and this is a Sabbath issue. We do this in secular culture as well, uh, where we have certain icons and religious traditions and whatnot. We wouldn't call them that, but that's basically what they are. Um, and uh, if you violate that or use the wrong rhetoric uh, or don't use any rhetoric at all, um, then you are outside of the camp. So here's Jesus, heals the man on the Sabbath, and you know exactly where this is going. First, they criticize the man for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. 
because that's the thing in the oral law. Um, but then uh, the man goes back to Jesus. You know, he's got to get his name. So verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So, so what we see here is the exhortation that grace should lead to righteousness. Those whom God saves, he sanctifies. But then there is that hint of judgment there. It is that theme of judgment that will be a major theme in the teaching portion uh, the latter half of the chapter. So they come to Jesus and say, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Because healing apparently is, is uh, work. You, know, you can do that from Sunday to Friday, but you can't do it on Saturday. You know, because that's the thing in the oral law. Um, but notice Jesus says, verse 17, My father's working until now, and I'm working. Now notice what he just said there. Um, he says that God works on the Sabbath. He's sort of, you know, sovereign over the universe. Uh, and I am doing the work of God. I am the son of the father. Well, that is Logos language. Right? And that is, this gives us why we have verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Notice that the life is now to be dead. They want him dead. Even though he's life, they want him dead. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, as the previous story illustrates, but that he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is one of the things that just strikes me. Uh, people who say Jesus never claimed to be divine. If you ever hear that, you need to ask yourself, then, what was the crucifixion all about? It's very obvious that, that Jesus accused of blasphemy in equating himself with God the Father. Think about it. What is, I get this from uh, Stephen Colbert, this is back when he was funny on the Comedy Central. Um, what is a son of a duck? He's a duck, right? Uh, so the Son of God is God, fully divine. And so when Jesus claims equality with the Father, he is claiming full deity for himself as the story of healing this man at the pool demonstrates. And that's the point, really, of, of the story, is that the story allows Jesus to launch into this teaching section about his equality with the Father, the work of the Father, the judgment of the Father now in the Son, and eternal life through the Son. Well, I want to look at it uh, briefly, not spend forever on this. Uh, I think it's a passage worth returning to over and over again. Verse 21, As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Notice, that's what he just did for, for the man at the pool of Bethesda, is he um, gave him life. So the authority of the Father is now invested in the Son who gives life. After all, that is what the Creator does. As Creator, He breathes life into humanity. That is true um, in the act of creation. It's also true in the act of salvation. Both are acts of creation. This has been the theme. As Logos in life, He can turn water into wine. He can heal uh, the man's son. And now He can heal the man who is at the pool of Bethesda. For the Father judges no one, but, but has given all judgment to the Son, and all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Again, Jesus is not just Logos. He is life. And he is life because he is Logos. Right? Um, and so you see that the connection between eternal life 
you pass from judgment into sanctification. Um, so the, the, the Son now raises life and thus gives life. So, so a new life, a new identity. This is the turning the water into wine. Uh, verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. Right? So, so this life is creative power. Uh, verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when... All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of, the, of judgment. It's, it's interesting here that it is the dead who, will, who are pictured here as being alive and those who are living here are pictured here as being dead. This is common in John's gospel, where, and really just the gospels in general, where, where everything's flipped, flipped on its head. So the dead will hear the voice of life, and they will come out to resurrection. And there they will stand in judgment before the Son. But this is all Logos life language. Um, Well, he goes on um, down in verse 33 to talk about John the Baptist. And we're doing some skipping here. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. By the way, if we were to add a fifth theme, so we've been looking at Logos life light lamb, we would add truth. I don't have an L word for truth if you think one. Uh, Non-lies, I guess. Um, but uh, truth is another theme throughout. Throughout, There's a lot of themes. It's what I love about John, is that you could do a biblical theology of John and just spend a lifetime there. And the more you read through the gospel, the more you discover this. Uh, like all great uh, works of literature, John certainly has that. So, John bears witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now notice what he just did there. John, in bearing witness to the truth, is a lamp. He's not the source of light, but he is a lamp. And through that lamp, uh, your path is illuminated to the true light of the world. So, again, in this chapter, what is we, we have so far? We have logos, we have light, and now we have light language. All of this is purposeful. And if you want lamb language, how about the fact that he's speaking of salvation? John has already established that salvation comes by the suffering of the Son. So when he speaks of salvation, it is it culminates in the cross. All of this culminates in the cross, where the light, you know, um, is put out by the darkness of death and, and, and life dies, all that sort of stuff. Well, um, verse 36, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness to me, about me, that the Father has sent me. But wait, let me add another theme um, in John's Gospel. Um, I've done this before when we talk about missions. Um, in the Gospel of John, his theology of missions is uh, that as the Father sent the Son, the Son now sends his disciples. So what you're going to see Jesus say all the time, uh, the Father sent me, the Father sent me, the Father sent me. And at the end of the Gospel, he says, I send you. As the Father sent me, I now send you. So watch for that phrase as we come across it in in our study of John's Gospel. Verse 39, You search the Scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. Notice we just said there. It's a great theology of Scripture from Jesus' own word uh, mouth. Here he says, look, Scripture grants life. 
but not just because you have it cracked open and on the coffee table whenever the preacher comes by. No, it grants life by pointing us, as John did, who is a lamp, to Jesus. The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and it is directing me, like John the Baptist, to Jesus. Because it's not just words on the page that grant life. It is who and to whom by which the words direct us to. It is in Jesus we have life. You think because you open the Bible, you have eternal life. And I'm telling you that if you miss Jesus in the Bible, then you miss the whole point of the Bible. He goes on to, to make the same point later at the end. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who already accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And Jesus is right here. Their criticism of Jesus about the Sabbath and all that is that um, Moses said this and that. So, so whether a Sadducee or Pharisee, Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Bible, books of Moses, Pharisees would add what we call the Old Testament today. Uh, but both agree that Moses is everything. Moses is lawgiver. This is why you'll find uh, Moses on the top of the Supreme Court, right, among other people. Um, but uh, Moses is, is the great lawgiver. And so Jesus says, your hope is in the law. Your hope should be in the Lamb who is Logos, life, and light. Verse 46, If you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? He wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, you ain't going to believe my words. Now, this is blasphemous language. If I said that about myself, you'd find the nearest rock and throw it at me, as you should. But Jesus makes these claims because as Logos, life, light, and lamb, they are true. All of Scripture has in its center Christ. Or as Martin Luther once said, um, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. And he's right. And so this whole chapter is all about Jesus comes to bring life as Logos, and people will reject the light. Because we saw in chapter 3, their deeds are evil and don't want to be exposed. And we're seeing that today. It isn't your job to heal humanity. It's not your job to save people. It's God's job. It is our job, like John the Baptist, to bear witness to the light. Hope to see you guys here next week.